Um, Let's turn to uh, the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We are going to uh, be in verses... I'm going to read verses 23 through 29, okay? But I am really only going to make it this week teaching-wise through uh, probably verses uh, 26 or 27, then uh, we'll pick up uh, the rest next week. And so if you're new, this is what we do here at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible, and uh, we're making our way through uh, the the entire book of Hebrews. And uh, we have been in Hebrews and will continue to be in Hebrews chapter 11 for a little while. And so if you don't have your copy of God's Word, It'll be on the screen behind me, but I know you just sat down. Stand back up in the honor of reading God's word. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. This is what it says. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God uh, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. I want to see how many of you were listening last week or were even present last week. Um, Hebrews 11 is all about what? Jesus. That's right. All right. I'm, I'm glad they drowned out those of you who said faith. Okay. Uh, Hebrews 11 is known, is known as the hall of faith, and, and it is uh, person after person just uh, recounted in Hebrews 11 of the Old Testament who exemplify and demonstrate this incredible faith in God. However, that is not the primary point of Hebrews 11. The primary point of Hebrews 11, as, as is every text in our Bible, is Jesus. It will always be Jesus. And so the faith of these men and women in our Old Testament are meant to be neon lights pointing and illuminating Jesus. Remember, the whole theme of the book of Hebrews is what? It's on the slide behind me. Jesus is better. He's better. He's better. And and Moses, who we're going to talk about today, uh, is brought up a lot, especially early on in the book of Hebrews, because Moses, rightfully so, is one of those patriarchs, right? He's one of those pillars in the nation of Israel. He is probably, I would argue, the most revered man in the Old Testament as it relates to God's people, the nation of Israel, and what the writer of Hebrews to a Jewish Christian audience wants to announce to them is this, Jesus is better than Moses. But Moses is pretty great. And Moses' faith is something that should be keyed in on. But he wants us to properly understand where Moses' faith was rooted. Moses' faith was rooted in Jesus. It was rooted in a coming Messiah. And so we've covered in Hebrews 11, and again, I think we're on week six of just covering this chapter. Um, We have covered a lot of different elements and components or marks, if you will, of faith demonstrated in these different lives from from Noah and Abraham like last week. And we're going through it slow intentionally. 
I wanted to go through Hebrews 11 one of two ways, either really slow and intentionally like we're doing or really fast. Because I think in, in a letter read to a church like Hebrews would have been, this would have been a very inspiring like chapter where they're going by faith, by faith, by faith. And by the time you get to the end of hearing all these by faiths, you're like, yes, by faith is how we're going to live. But I think that would have missed in, in this audience, right? I think it worked for the original audience. I think in our audience, we need to slow down a little bit because many of us don't understand the context of people, even the, the big names like Abraham, um, Noah, and, 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 and today, uh, Moses. Um, one of the things about faith, one of the things about faith that is often misunderstood is that, that it's either believed either you have faith or you don't have faith. Either you have faith or you don't have faith. And uh, that's not entirely true. I would argue that every single person in here, every single person under the sound of my voice in this room has faith. We all do. It's going to be like, no, no, no I don't. I, I don't even believe in God. Okay, fair. I'm glad you're here, but fair, right? But you have faith in something. You're putting your faith and trust in something or someone, right? E- even as believers, so Christians, maybe you say, yes, I, I have faith in-, in Christ. I have faith in the Lord. There are often times where we wrestle or struggle with our faith, right? Because the object of our faith becomes typically us or some version of, of self. But in Christian faith, what we're talking about in Hebrews is, is Christian faith. People who follow Jesus, our faith is rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Our faith is this fact that we are saved from our sin and reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ alone. And when we are saved, the Holy Spirit that we were just singing about, the Holy Spirit we were just inviting, God then places in us. And that is a complete work of grace. That's a complete work of grace, meaning you cannot earn any of those things I just described. You can't earn your salvation. You can't good works your way into salvation. You can't be moral enough to earn a relationship back to God. There is one way, and that is through faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. But what flows from that are evidences, are proofs, or marks of faith truly in Jesus Christ when he is the true object of our faith. And so I want to ask a question. I want to pose a question before digging into the text this morning. And it's this question. What does it cost you, you and I, what does it cost you to follow Jesus? What does your faith in Christ, if you are a believer here, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ who has put your faith and trust in Christ, what did that faith cost you? What does it cost you today? You see, I think if I asked that question to our brothers and sisters um, in Vietnam, where we have church plants there, their list might be a little different, right? Or if I asked um, our brothers and sisters in Iran or South Asia, what does it cost you? What did it cost you when you, put, when you initially put your faith and trust in Jesus? What did it cost you? I've asked that question to our brothers and sisters in Vietnam. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've received emails from Tuan and Esther, our pastors over there. 
It cost them their families. It cost them, many of them, their careers. Their standing, their place in society. Success, comfort, all of those things. In our context, one of my fears is that this question is often very difficult to answer. And maybe even more difficult to understand what the actual cost of following Jesus is. See, Jesus in Luke chapter 14, verse 28, uh, he's using an analogy of of building. Um, He says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, right, or a structure, does not first, right, before, before building the tower, does not first sit down and he says, count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Count the cost. Another translation would be, would be to think about and weigh what it's go- what's going to be required of you to actually see this life constructed, this tower, this building. Has this been an exercise you've ever done before as a believer? To go, okay, what does it really mean for me here in 2022 in McKinney, Texas, or wherever you live, to follow Jesus, to profess my whole faith in him? You see, there are some themes that are going to jump out of this text that we're going to walk through. And one of the themes that's going to jump out is this cost. That true faith in Jesus is going to cost you. It's going to cost me. And we're also going to see that true cost met with another theme of faith, courage. Did you hear in the text that I read, at least twice, it talked about how they were not afraid. We're not afraid. And so let's, let's look at the first thing. If you have your Bibles, keep them open. We're just going to go through the text here. Um, with Moses and see these themes jump out at us. But I want you to keep that question here. What's the cost? So the first thing um, in verse 23, which is interesting to me, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were, here we go, not afraid of the king's edict. So, in fact, verse 23, the beginning of this kind of part on Moses is not about Moses at all. It's actually about the faith of Moses' parents, okay? Very little is known about Moses' parents, okay? But one of the things we do know is this, from a text like this and also in other places in our Bible, is that they feared God above all else. And so here, the king's edict was this, that, that every um, male child born was to be tossed um, into the Nile River, right? Like that, that was the king's edict. Okay, so that was happening, this, this genocide. And um, Moses' parents, uh, they, they had two other ch- children, Aaron and Miriam, and they had Moses. And, and they looked at Moses, and the Bible says that, 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 that they saw that he was beautiful. Now, this is not just said in Hebrews 11. This is also said in Exodus, talking about his beauty, um, now I know I'm a parent too. I got three kids. Like we all see our kids and we're like, oh, they're, they're beautiful. And they are beautiful. Okay. Like you all think your kids are beautiful. I think my kids are beautiful. This, what is being described here in Hebrews 11 and also in Exodus has nothing to do with Mi- Moses's physical appearance. 
And this is an interesting point, okay? That what is talked about here, what they saw in Moses that was beautiful was not just his physical appearance. It was that God had his hand upon Moses in a unique way. That the Lord led them to see this child that, that really had a, 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 an edict from the king to be tossed into the Nile River. They looked at him and they go, no, the Lord's hand is upon him. We're not, we're not going to fear the king. We're going to fear God. God has a plan and a place for this man, Moses, in his, in his deliverance of his people, right? And so we are going to step out in faith and do something totally crazy. And what's the story? If you know the story, right? You know, you know um, that, that Moses' mother, after three months, right? They couldn't conceal any longer because you can't conceal a four-month-old. Let's be honest. We all have had them, right? You're not concealing that, okay? After three months of concealing the child, gets this idea of what? Putting him in a basket, okay? Swaddling him up, putting him in a basket, and setting him on the Nile, right? You all know the scene, okay? Give me the scene. Keith, yes, okay? You've seen the movie. You know the scene, all right? There it is, right? That's her putting him in a basket. Now, my fear is, and this is why I like teaching the Bible like this, we've just all heard this story so much. We've seen the movie. Okay, let's go. Like, we know. How crazy is that? To put your three-month-old child in a basket and then put him on the Nile that you were supposed to toss him in, and they tossed him in the Nile because it was infested with alligators. It was infested with, with predators that would eat them, okay? Like, let's not gloss over this. And she's going to push him down so that he might float and land in front of Pharaoh's daughter. Faith? God, we, we, we see you have a plan for this child. Lord, your, your hand is upon this child in, in a unique way. And so, Lord, we're going to trust you to preserve him. We're going to trust you to keep him. And then what happens, right? She puts him in this basket, floats him down the Nile. And wouldn't you know it, right? You've seen the other movie, right? For, for some of you old movies, <laughs> right? There he is, Right? Those are really white people for this scene, all right? <laughs> there he is. When you know it, the basket lands right in front of Pharaoh's daughter. And when you know it, as the story's told, who is standing right there behind the, you know, the cattails? Miriam, Moses' sister. That goes, oh, I, I have an idea. You have a baby there in front of you. Isn't he cute? Isn't he beautiful? He's more beautiful than you know, Miriam probably thought. Why don't you take care of him? And Pharaoh's daughter, of course, brings him up and says, Whoa, how about to have somebody to, to be his caretaker and his nurse? I've got just the lady. Moses' mom. Moses' mom. And so you see this sequence of incredible faith played out. This child that should have been cast into the Nile is now floating on top of the Nile. And the Nile actually provides his, his, his salvation or his deliverance, if you will, to the house of Pharaoh, where his mom then is now in turn the caretaker. And his mom now is able to continue to talk to him about the promises of God, about his beauty, about what God has in store for him. All of those things now working together. Why? Because of the faith 
of Moses' parents, not fearing the king's edict, but fearing God and going, God, we trust you above all else. We trust you so much so that we're going to put the life of this beautiful, your child, in a basket and float it down and watch what you do. And God takes steps. Now, last week I talked about the creativity of God. The creativity of God, how we, we serve a God who is creative, not in, in just the fact that he created everything and set everything in motion, but that he is just absolutely creative in the way he executes things. But here I want to talk about just the, the creative God, how he works and moves is through the creativity of faith in people. That's how God moves and demonstrates himself. This creative God is through creativity of faith. Miriam, or, or, or Moses' mom, his parents, this is very creative. This is not just a normal idea. I think this was a God-inspired idea in how to see God's faithfulness put on display. Now, um, I want us to think about that. I want us to think about the spaces and places in our life where God has led us, where God is maybe leading us currently, that just seem kind of out there, right? And some of your ideas, they are out there, right? But others of your ideas, God has placed those in your heart to be a creative demonstration of your faith in him, right? You ever ever been there? I can tell you a few moments where we've been there, and we use this one all the time because it is actually so crazy, Right? Where the Lord would ask the Parks Church to start a medical clinic. Those dots don't connect, right? A community of people, right? A church led by pastors and elders with very few. We only had one doctor and he was in residency at that time, right? To go start a free and charitable health clinic in a city that is the most affluent city in America almost, right? But the Lord says, I want to connect all those dots. And that creativity is going to be a step in a demonstration of faith in me and watch what it does. So much so where today, more people are being led to faith in the clinic than they are here on our Sunday morning gatherings. Praise be to God. His creativity. And there are stories after stories of that in our faith family, in individual lives. But listen, God wants to pour his spirit out more. God wants to create his creative power to be on display through creative faith steps by us, his children. Right? Moses' life was preserved because of his parents' risk and courage and creativity to follow and fear God. You see, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of parents in this room. A lot. A lot of grandparents in this room. Um... When you really live lives of faith before your kids and your grandkids, it will make an eternal difference like you cannot fathom. Now hear me. Um, It's not your faith that saves your children. Salvation belongs to the Lord alone, right? Moses' parents sending Moses down the Nile, right? Salvation belongs to the Lord, and the the Lord sovereignly saves. But it is, hear me, it is your, it is our faith that illustrates and demonstrates what genuine, real faith in Jesus looks like. And that's a big responsibility, folks. 
That is a massive level of stewardship that we are called to. You don't get to outsource that responsibility, mom, dad. You don't get to outsource that duty and that task. So I want to ask you a question. What does the faith of your household demonstrate? Does the faith of your household demonstrate that Jesus is better? Does the faith on display in your house go, Jesus is better than anything we have? This is what it looks like to follow him. If, if, if all your kids had, right? If all your kids had was your life to describe what it looks like to follow Jesus, what would they say? Praise God, that's not all they have, right? Because we'd for sure give them a broken picture. But w- what, what would they say? Is he present? Is he there? I, 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 see, I see a, a woman, I see a man who's, who's going after Jesus. Would they say, what, man, the, the, the way my dad serves my mom gives me a picture of how, how Jesus would love people. Man, what I see in my house is that, that we honor those around us with our words. Those who look like us, those who don't look like us, those, those who believe like us, our, our neighbor, like, they're just honored and lifted up. They're, they're prayed for. Our time, I mean, our time as a household demonstrates where our real faith, what the object of our faith actually is. Our stuff, it's not even really ours. Would your, would your kids say that? Would my kids say that? I mean, we're opening our home to vulnerable children. What does that demonstrate? That's demonstrating the gospel. We who were orphans were adopted, right? By who? The God of the universe is our father. Some of your kids would go, my, my, my physical house demonstrates that. I see that picture. I see the heart of God on display. I see the object of our faith is someone outside of us. And honestly, it's why we need the church. Because you and me, we can't do that. We weren't built to do that individually or alone. We were built to do this in a community of people a community of people pouring into our children. This is, listen, this is not just a church. This is why we use the word faith family. The church is a family. It's the family of God where, listen, uh, the way in which Jake is loving and serving his household is a demonstration even to my three kids when they look and they peer at somebody like Jake to go, listen, his faith, their faith at the McCarley household is a demonstration of who Jesus is. It's a clearer picture. And they look at some of you who, who, who are older than we are, who have raised kids up. And those kids are then pouring into other kids. It's just this beautiful web that the Lord orchestrates and purposefully puts together. The faith of Moses' parents, the creativity of faith on display. And then, in verses 24 through 26, we actually get to Moses. Moses' actual faith. And there's going to be two more sections to this, but this is where we'll, we'll land today. The cost of Moses' allegiance. Let's look at this in verse 20, 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, so this is about 40 years after what I just read, okay? When he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Big deal. What did Moses' 
faith in God cost him? Everything. Everything. You see, Moses' decision to refuse being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter has a massive consequence attached to it. Not only was he rejecting wealth and prestige like none of us can fathom, more than that, he was rejecting Pharaoh himself. When he says, I will not be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he was rejecting Pharaoh himself, which in turn, when any time you rejected Pharaoh, like with Moses' parents, if they would have found out that they were going against the edict of Pharaoh, would have been killed. When you reject Pharaoh, the consequence is death. And here what we see is this, that true Christian faith, true Christian faith refuses any other primary identifier above Jesus Christ. This is where it goes, the cost of Moses' allegiance. Moses' allegiance could have been to Pharaoh, to the household. He would have enjoyed the wealth. He would have enjoyed the prestige. He would have enjoyed every luxury. You can imagine the ease, the comfort. And he goes, no, what I am going to be identified by is this, Yahweh, the one true God. And because of that, he lost all of these earthly things. You see, as Christians, who, what we announce is this. Who I am and who I belong to is solely found in Jesus Christ. And because that is my sole and primary identity, everything else flows below it. Everything else flows through it. You see, a lot of the turmoil and angst we are feeling today inside the church and outside the church is rooted in this confusion. It's rooted in the confusion of where our primary allegiance is found. Where your primary loyalty is found. Listen to me very clearly. Jesus will not and cannot be shared with anything or anyone else. The throne of our hearts cannot have anything or anyone else except Jesus sit upon it. He will not share it. But we are in constant tension over that, aren't we? Let's be honest. We're constantly trying to sync two things together. My preference, my life, my comfort, my security with trying to live for King Jesus. And Jesus goes, there is one allegiance that you have. And that's to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In verse 25, how profound is that? Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God. It's like this contrast. Rather than Enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses goes, give me contempt with the people of God. Give me the mistreatment with the people of God and the allegiance to the one true God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. That tells me a couple things. The first thing is this, that sin is pleasurable. Right? Pleasure, otherwise it wouldn't be tempting. Oh, sure, that sin is, is pleasurable. However, those pleasures are fleeting, meaning they don't last church. Moses saw them rightly. He saw the riches. He saw the wealth. He saw the prestige. He saw the status. He saw the comfort. He saw all the security for what they were, a vapor. Um, I love Chinese food. I love it. Can't find, I'm from Missouri. There's some of the best Chinese food in Springfield, Missouri. I haven't yet to find any here in uh, North Texas, maybe in the state of Texas, but for sure not here in North Texas, all right? But I will, I will go up to Missouri 
and I will feast. My aunt is Thai. She owns a Thai restaurant. Some of the best food you'll ever have in your life. Right? I'll feast. I'll eat. I'll feast. Right? Just, just uh, shrimp fried rice and uh, egg rolls and crab rangoon. I know some of you are getting starving right now. Like, I'll just, I'll just feast on it. And my experience, without fail, is two hours later, I'm like, I am so hungry. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? That's sin. You're feasting, you're enjoying, this is the best ever, this is the best ever. And then you're going, wait a minute. Why, it's a fleeting pleasure. Oh, it promises to satisfy you. It promises to give you something that will sustain, but it never, ever does. And Moses recognized that. Why? Because he had the eyes of faith to see through it. And so if you hear nothing else at all, I think this is the one thing I would have you hear this morning. Is that in Christ, in Christ, when you are in Christ, we, you, will walk through fleeting suffering. Right, Moses? I'd rather be mistreated with the people of God. That's the, 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 the fleeting pleasures is not the only fleeting thing here in this passage, in this verse. It's the fleeting mistreatment. It's the fleeting uh, 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 suffering that we go through. And on the other side, Moses saw that he would receive eternal pleasures. So in Christ, we walk through fleeting suffering and receive eternal pleasures without Christ. Without him, we receive fleeting pleasures and in turn, Eternal suffering. Kyle, I brought friends. Listen, that is um, that is intense, but that is what's at stake when we talk about faith. This is all over the pages of our Bible. Romans eight, the greatest letter ever written. Romans eight, verse eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's what Paul's saying there. The sufferings I face now, the imprisonments, the beating, the martyrdom, literally giving his whole physical life. It's not even worth talking about. It doesn't hold any water compared to what I'm going to receive. The eternal pleasures that are found in Christ. So Moses goes, listen, this is the group whom I am going to be identified with, the people of God. Moses lived, he he could have lived his life in the brilliance of Egypt in, in, in the courts, but it paled in comparison to the life of faithful obedience to God. How could he do that? Like, where did that faith come from? And here's where I want to land. Um, It's found in verse 26. The answer is found in verse 26. The answer for you in me is found in verse 26. When I ask the question, what is the cost of faith? The cost of following Jesus. Jesus himself said this. It's everything. It's your whole life. That's the cost. Who and why would I be willing to give my whole life to him? Verse 26, why was Moses? He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. Maybe that one's a little confusing. Jesus himself, he put it like this in Matthew chapter 13. Um, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field 
which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's it. Moses realized the treasure that he had in God. He realized the treasure that he had in Christ. And he says, listen, everything else that my physical eyes see and that I've physically experienced that seem pleasurable on the surface, they pale. They are not, they're not worth it. Let me tell you what's worth it. God, following Christ. You see this, this Matthew 13, this man sees and sells everything he has everything he has to get the treasure. That's the reward. In other words, all the so-called costs and all the so-called losses, everything. Nothing compares to the gains of having Jesus, the great treasure. And so let me tell you, a true saving Christian faith sees that. Sees the treasure in the field and sells everything else to get that reward in that treasure. And it doesn't just know it, it doesn't just see it, it lives in light of it. And that's the thing I want to drive home and leave you with here in Hebrews 11. Moses didn't just intellectually assent to it. He didn't just go, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, that's how my life was kind of rescued by my parents' faith and their courage, their cost. No, he responded by living by going, what we'll see in the next couple weeks, Moses going, okay, now the next 40 years of my life will be spent in wilderness and following this God. Oh, that we might echo Paul in Philippians 3, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Another word for Lord, my King the one who I pledge allegiance to, who has my whole life. And one of the things, especially if you're peering in here to Christianity, one of the unique things that convinced me about Christianity was this, is that Jesus wasn't a God who is just demanding total allegiance from a group of people, going, I'm God, you're not, listen to me. Jesus is a God who literally puts on flesh to accomplish what I could not. Jesus is not just calling you and me for our whole lives. He, in turn, leads the way by giving his whole life for us. So hear me, Jesus never asks anything from you that he himself didn't demonstrate perfectly, that he didn't exemplify. And so we're going to come to these tables these tables of communion, a host, get ready, um, if you would, to line up. And we're going to take the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice, Jesus' demonstration, like the culmination of, I'm giving it all. Why? To glorify the Father and to save sinners like you and me. This is the creativity of our God on display in the creativity of faith. And so you can begin to dismiss Hold the elements in your hand and we're going to take them together. And this is a, a little bit of a new way for us to do it. We hadn't done it like this in about two years. So, And as you walk and get the elements and come back to your seat, make this purposeful time. 
as you hold them, dwell upon what you're holding. Ask the Holy Spirit, what do you say? What are you speaking to me? Where is my allegiance? Let's use Hebrews 11. Let's use Moses' faith this morning as we hold the elements of communion for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Some of you, I'm convinced, the Lord has been or is going to speak very specifically to you in an area. And it's going to sound crazy. Like, like put your kid in, not put your kid in a basket, but like, like, like crazy, like, Lord, are you sure you're calling me to that? Lord, are you sure you're calling me into that space and that place? And he's going to confirm it through the community of God. Or he's going to, as he's done in my life many times, show you that that's not what he was saying, but there's something else. Let's worship our God in prayer right now. Father, we worship you, God, with bread in our teeth and, and juice on our breath. Lord, we lift up our voices of worship to you, people who you have redeemed, people who you have given the gift of faith in Jesus to. And so, Lord, my prayer is simple this morning. Give us faith to obey you. Give us faith to walk faithful lives of glory to, to, to you. And so, Holy Spirit, take our lives, take our feeble, broken, these, 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 these cisterns, Lord, and fill them with yourself. Fill them with more of you overflowing so that the watching world, so that our households, our, our community of faith even here, would see a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Put him on display through the Park Church however you see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? And amen.